right now I'm, I'm really uh, focusing on how we begin to help staff members and students that we work with shift from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Okay. And a lot of that is situated in what we're talking about here is this is how things are, things are immovable, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, as opposed to I'm gonna enter a space, I'm going to receive information, I'm going to listen, and then I'm going to then speak, and I'm gonna look for opportunities to grow. And I think once we have a growth mindset, it really helps us deal with adversity, it helps us deal with challenges. And I've just really been seeing a lot of people saying this is the right way and this is the wrong way, and there's so much more gray in between. And so that's really what I've been pondering and think about how I help my staff, which will then ultimately help the students that they're working with. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, I'm joined by three of the authors of ACPA's Racial Justice and Decolonization Expectations Project. We're going to discuss specifically their three by three possibilities model to engage in this work. I'm so excited to learn from you all today. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode and browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Student Affairs Now is sponsored by Simplicity. A true partner, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach. And you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I am broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversations. Thank you to the three of you for joining us today. Uh, let's learn a little bit more about each of you. And Danielle, you're going to kick us off. Awesome. Thanks, Keith. Hi, everyone. Danielle Morgan Acosta, she, her pronouns. I serve as the Associate Dean of Student Success for Student Engagement and Belonging at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts on the lands of the Nipmuc people. Um, and I'm excited to be talking about uh, this project. I was the convener of the task force in my role as ACPA president from 2022 to 2023. Awesome. JW, tell us a little bit more about you. Hi, um, JW Tabaki, uh, he, him pronouns. Uh, I serve as the director of student affairs at Penn State University, the new Pensington campus, which is in the greater Pittsburgh region, uh, ancestral homes of the Osage people. Uh, I got involved in this project uh, right around the time that I was in a professional crossroads and was situated in student conduct and was trying to find ways in which that I could get involved in some DEI efforts, not only at my campus, but at the uh, through ACPA. And so after speaking with Vernon Wall, he said, you need to reach out to Danielle. Uh, she has this really exciting project. And so not really knowing much more than that, I threw my hat in the ring and said, I would love to see what you all were doing in any way that I could help contribute. And it was much of a learning lesson for me about some of these topics as it was as an opportunity to give uh, different insights and perspectives. So I'm very thankful to be a part of this and really excited to speak with you all today about uh, how we came to some of the conclusions that we did. Awesome. And Laura. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Laura Arroyo, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the Assistant Vice Chancellor here at University of Colorado Boulder um, in Student Affairs, and this is the Ancestral Homelands of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Nations. Um, and I have had kind of a journey within ACPA, um, much of it along with Danielle and with JW, um, started work within the commission, uh, kind of com commission land and commission for housing and residential life, uh, served um, as uh, a member of the governing board and now on the foundation board. Um, my work with this project was interesting. Um, I was completing my dissertation. I had been in writing mode. Uh, there was this moment where I think I decided to sign up for everything. I felt mm -hmm. like I needed to do something intentional and meaningful after my dissertation. Um, and my doctoral work was very connected um, to the experience of, of Black staff on predominantly white 
uh, college campuses. So I felt a need to be proximate to this work. Um, so first, I, I really wanted to be involved from the expectations project before that ever we ever wrote. I wanted to, to provide feedback from a qualitative lens from University of Colorado Boulder's experience. Um, and then I think I got voluntold at some point to get involved. I'm looking at Danielle over here. Um, but I'm happy I did because I think it was a way to find meaning after my dissertation around racial justice and decolonization. Yeah, another way to contribute further. That's awesome. So Danielle, you mentioned as ACPA president, you were the convener. How did this project emerge and uh, how did the final document come to be? Yeah, so I mean, goodness. Um, so ACPA, I would say in 2016, 2017, began a journey, right, under the leadership of Donna Lee and then Stephen John Quay and the governing board at the time in our particular moment in history of naming a strategic imperative for racial justice and then adding decolonization. And that original note from Donna talked a lot about how it was a call on how we were going to do the work, the resources we were going to provide as an association, the ways that we could kind of think and know and be and do all of the work. Um, and among that was a series of conversations and dialogues. There was also the first kind of installment of a, a resource, the Bold Vision Forward that Stephen John Quay added to um, and really brought us to the love model, which situates our work and, and situates this document's work in a lot of different ways as well. Um, and I, we had the goal of doing two different types of documents. One was an expectations project, like what are the aspirations that we want for institutions to have and systems to have, and what does that mean? Knowing that it would be bare bones um, in some ways, but that no association had really named, these are the things you must do. This is what mm -hmm. racial justice and decolonization looks like. Um, and had calls from our members of like, this is a cool idea and I believe in the idea and and what do I do like what's the thing right and we wanted to be really clear that it wasn't a checklist um so we had this expectations project that we were going to launch and then from early on the ACPA staff and some governing board folks um Stephen in particular, I think Jamie was involved in it and Vernon and everyone was talking about, you know, my philosophy is always like knowing, being, doing, right? So what does this three by three model look like? And originally we thought there'd be two separate documents. Here's this expectations project. We've done research, we've surveyed people. Here's this way of thinking about what racial justice and decolonization looks like that you can do at the individual system and group level all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so we put out a call. So let's be honest. Remember 2022? Remember 2021? Remember mm -hmm. 2020? There was a lot of things going on. Projects from a volunteer leadership point of view were not necessarily on the forefront um, because we were doing a lot of work on a variety of levels. And I think that we sent the first email out about this project in January of 21. Mm -hmm. Right. We're like, come join us. Give us your feedback. I think JW did a lot of analysis of the data we received. What we started to notice is the data that we received, the things that people wanted or had seen or thought were important when we talk about racial justice and decolonization and what our campuses or institutions should be doing, aligned with this notion of what's happening at the individual group and systems level. Mm -hmm. uh, so the team kind of decided, let's merge both of these. Let's talk about here are some things that you must be doing as an individual, as a leader, and as an institution. But more importantly, let's try to help folks think about bringing racial justice and decolonization thinking and ongoing learning to everything that they're doing. Um, and I think that's kind of how we started to merge those two ideas together um, to get to that grander goal of what are the resources and how do we implement them and what are the tools that we need to continue thinking about um, how we're doing the work in meaningful ways. Can you talk about, um, I'd love to hear more about the role of whiteness in this project. I think that uh, for folks who aren't seeing, uh, it would be good context for people who are listening and to be explicit about some of that. Um, could you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I can jump yeah, I in. Think... Great. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Yeah. Um, I was thinking a little bit about you know, there was this moment where I felt like personally there was a call to action. Uh, there was a call to action from my, uh, you know, colleagues, um, staff of color, both institutionally and across the country, who were saying, 
um, we're, we're in this and we feel like we're in this alone and we need to see movement. We need to see action. Um, so I think the power of this, this, um, this work is, is really this question of responsibility and personal responsibility that we each needed to have. Um, and interestingly enough, as we're doing and when we were in the doing and in the writing, uh, we were looking around the room and seeing that it was a lot of white staff, um, white professionals across student affairs who were doing this writing together and thinking mm -hmm. through our own work together, thinking through how difficult that is, how messy it is, how sometimes we don't know. And when you don't know, sometimes you don't do. Um, so there was this call to action and responsibility that was asked for, um, pleaded for in some ways, I think, within um, the data that we were seeing. And, and JW, you may, you may be able to add to that. You were doing a lot of the data analysis work that got us to where we were. Yeah, and, and the people that were responding were, were the broad uh, swath of uh, different demographics and racial identities and backgrounds. And we started to find certain themes that were really important. And it was talking about how systemically, and again, broadly speaking, a lot of the administrators that are making decisions at the systems level, at the department level are white. And remember, as, as Danielle had mentioned, this is 2021. We're in the, the heart of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. People, there's riots, there's protests, mm -hmm. there's exhaustion and fatigue from our colleagues of color about feeling like they're the ones that are having to do the work. And, and we're seeing that in the survey results. People are saying, I'm just exhausted of having to be the only person of color sitting around the table and everyone looking at at me as though I'm the one that's supposed to be leading this change. And so throughout this entire process, we we sort of, we knew there was a destination we didn't get, we wanted to get to, but we didn't even know what that destination looked like. And there's plenty of points along the way where we stopped and we said, wait, do we go left, right? Do we go backwards, forwards? We weren't even sure what direction we we're going in. And one of those points was situated in whiteness. We looked at one of our Zoom calls and a lot of the people represented were white. And we said, should we stop? And should we get more people involved? And there was just a point where we said, you know what, we had a lot of people and a lot of them were dropping off for various reasons. And we felt like it was just important enough that we needed to move this forward. And this was a starting out point. This was never going to be the destination. That was never going to be the end all be all document. But we just felt like it we had a responsibility as people in the field that cared about this to put something out and start the conversation. And so mm -hmm. that's really what this is. This is a conversation starter. It's definitely not the comprehensive guide uh, that we hope to one day uh, move towards, but this is again, a beginning point. I appreciate that, the both end of that, because I think we hear from folks a lot. We want to center voices of the most marginalized, right? And native and indigenous folks, people who uh, experience racism. And there's a lot of really good reasons for that, as you're pointing to. And then there's a lot of not good reasons for that. Like it puts all of the burden on them and they're exhausted and racial battle fatigue. And it's always them having to do that. And I think sometimes we get caught in one or the other. Um, but I appreciate how you all uh, were explicit about um, this is a way for people who are white to take action. It could be applicable to other folks, but we're not going to avoid the discomfort of we might mess this up. We're not going to steer away from that and abdicate responsibility. We're really going to embrace uh, responsibility. Um, I'd love to hear more about that or more about how the document came to be before we, we move forward. I think there's, you know, two, there's multiple tensions that I think we worked through and that this document brings up. And so for me, I'm, I'm situated, I was sitting with, there was urgency for the resource. There was urgency, right? And we know that urgency is rooted in white supremacy and there's a lot of things we need to work in in there. And then there was hesitation and fear. And that's also what normative majority groups tend to do when they can't act. And so I think we got to a place and we, folks really had to come with me on a journey, right? I didn't know where we were landing. And I, I do think that deterred there were sometimes we would be in meetings and people were like, I'm not seeing this, right? Like, I'm not seeing how these connect. I'm not seeing if we have the resources. Um, I can remember many conversations about, do we have enough data? And it was like, do we need more data when we know what's going on in the world? We're seeing some things. We know there's resources. We know that there's literature. And so the tension behind the urgency to have something and the hesitation of starting, we realized was rooted in who we were and fear of making mistakes and how we were going to do the work and how that might show up. And almost in writing it was us living what the expectations that we were telling other folks to do was, right? We had to sit and 
go through that a little bit to get to a, this is how you do it. Sometimes you don't know where to start because what you have to do is start. And that is icky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Danielle, I was thinking of that too, that starting is sometimes the hardest part, right? It's the place that is is the beginning and the beginnings can be the hardest um, initially. Once you get started, then you find commitment. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Brian Stevenson's work about proximity, the conversation that he has about you really need to be proximate to an issue. Um, I think for me personally, this was an opportunity to be proximate to the work that I said I believed in. And if, if I said I believed in it, then I needed to really do it. Yeah. One of the quotes that I really liked uh, that we we highlighted was from Grace Boggs, where she talks about move towards the future, lacking a clear cut blueprint. And I think that just summarizes really well uh, where we were. We didn't have a clear cut blueprint, but we had people that were invested in the process. And I hope that you can see that when you read this document, that we're truly invested in this and we want to make a change. And we talk about this is the conversation starter. And again, in that moment, context matters. People were stopping having conversations. People were moving away from this because it's messy work. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And we really need to sit in that and think about if we stop having these conversations, then people aren't going to learn and grow. And so as we wrote this, we wanted to call out some things, but we didn't want people to feel like there was a target on their back. Like you're bad, you're wrong if you're not in the sustainability or in the, the highest tier. We wanted to invite people to say like, it's okay to be in the beginning stages, but we need to begin to talk with people about that. And so we tried to form this in a way where we're having conversations with ourselves, we're having it with our colleagues and we're having it with our supervisors, but it's a way to engage people and be a part of it as opposed to feeling alienated. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's the root of education, right? Now, if you don't understand, we're going to help you understand. If you understand, but don't know how to do it, we're going to help you practice, right? And inviting people into that process um, and, and be on the journey. I find it really interesting, this whole notion of we just, we didn't know where we we're going to end up, but we just needed to start and figure it out on our way. Uh, I think that's in many ways, kind of a radical way to do, do things and see what emerges and what comes from that. Uh, I want to shift to to the three by three possibilities model, which is kind of the heart of this for folks who are not familiar, who haven't read the document. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. Um, we're also going to, for folks who are watching or maybe want to watch, we'll put some uh, some uh, sample of that table that we're going to talk through here a little bit on the screen uh, for folks. Before we get too far into it, you've already mentioned the individual group and systems level. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm a little unclear about what is the group level and what is the systems level. The individual level, like that makes sense to me. But as I have sort of worked through this with some other folks and, and, and myself, I'm sort of like, well, is the group, is that like my department? Is that like my institution? And then systems, oh, did I do this wrong? So can you clear that up or is it supposed to be messy? Uh, so I can talk a little bit about oh. that. My a lot of my writing was in this section, um, and I would say that group can be defined in a variety of different spaces and ways. Uh, mm -hmm. So group is the space that you take up in a room with a group of people. Um, group is the influence and power that someone holds in a space because we all have influence and we all have power, relational influence, relational power. Um, a group can also refer to your role as a supervisor. Um, your role influencing a group of people and, and, and influencing individuals. Um, and then I think of this piece of leader. And I'm always careful of the word leader because I think that that also has some connotations that are really rooted in whiteness. So I've leaned in a bit more to that group, that naming of group or that naming of supervisor, um, because I think it talks about the positionality more and it talks about the power. Uh, leadership often assumes power. Um, so I'm a little careful of using the word leader, although we do talk about it in this, mm -hmm. uh, because I think we can't hide away from it. It is a mm -hmm. part of the work. Um, it's a part of the things that we discuss within student affairs. Uh, but that group, that piece is both connected to self and it's connected to other. Um, and all of these, all of these pieces of the three by three discuss that and talk about mm -hmm. it um, through the learning, the doing and the being. Right. So there's different stages of the work that we're doing uh, to understand who we are. Um, but I think the group is the messiest part. I often mm -hmm. think about it as mid-level management. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's that point, that point where we don't quite know where we're headed. Similar to this project, we don't always know where we're headed, but we also know that we have great influence and ability in our relations with others. Mm -hmm. 
So just to just to set this up visually for people who are listening, the three by three model talks about uh, three rows. The individual is a row, the group is a row, the systems is a row, and then three columns of learning, doing, and being. You did got get, it. Did I get it right? I don't have it in front of me right now. Okay. So that's the three by three. So you can imagine these nine little squares where we fill in with that kind of an organizer. Um, what What more do you want to share? Yeah, I wanted to just pick up a little bit more on uh, where Lara left off with this group idea, because we talked a lot about management and like managing your department, as opposed to being a part of a system. But then we also had a great conversation where sometimes we're not managers, but we're in committee meetings, or we're in spaces with faculty and students. And that's not a part of our formalized leadership roles, but we're in group settings or in teams where there's different dynamics and different leaderships. And we still need to be aware we still need to be doing and being in those different spaces. And so we try to think broadly because we all just don't sit in silos and work in our office and don't interact with people. And so it really is that interaction where uh, if you're in a space and someone says something that's really racially insensitive, but they're not your direct report or you don't report to them, but they're a colleague or someone else's colleague or someone else's direct report, how do you interact with them? And so that's why it's messy because we realize that we're just so much more than our positionality in an organization. And we interact with so many different people, not only in our institution, but as a part of different professional associations or in the community. And so that's why we really sit with the group and team versus the system where it's now we're talking about societal norms, local government. If you're part of a larger university where it's different departments, how are you bringing about change more broadly when it's sort of outside your sphere of influences? Yeah, I really think it's the sphere of influence piece that helped with the separation. So much of the feedback um, that was in the data was really about supervisors not getting it, people that were higher up not getting it. Like no one's hearing me, no one's seeing me. Like where do you have the opportunity to engage in voice? How do we create agency? Because there was such a 20, like the world was on fire. Folks did not feel like they had agency for anything, right? They couldn't leave their house. They couldn't. And so this notion of like anywhere you sit, systems are hierarchical and structure and historical, and there's a ton of context associated with them. And there are people that continue to allow them to exist. And so the people within them can also have agency to be able to do some pieces. So I think when I think about individual is the personal work and how you show up, the group is how you influence and in whatever community you're a part of to make some of those small changes that might not influence the entire system, but start to create ripples. And then a lot of the systemic change that we identify or the audiences for actions at the systemic level dig deeper into structure and context and policy and maybe some of those overarching pieces that make it feel scarier. Um, or make the change feel too big. But at the individual level, we can chip away at it in different yeah. places. Well, you just alluded to this with the ripples, but I'm sort of uh, the analogy that's coming to me is sort of the individual is the drop of water, right? That's me. Uh, the ripples are sort of the group and the influence, which can be direct and indirect. And JW is pointing out formal, but also informal, right? Standing, waiting for your burger at the dining hall, right? Um, and then the system is the pond or the lake or whatever water you want to sort of see that that's really um, that's really connecting with me. Um, we're going to practice. We're going to have you all boldly <laughs> practice this here in a little bit. But what else do you want to say about the three by three model before we get into giving some examples? Yeah, I, I was just going to say there's this piece of discussion that we had around responsibility and compliance. Uh, so compliance is often what we have to do. Right. Um, and responsibility is what we're called to do. And I think this model speaks to me in a variety of ways, but it speaks to me in the responsibility place, um, mm -hmm. that we have a responsibility to growing and learning and being in that work um, in a self-learning space. And we have a responsibility to the people that make up our space. Um, and that's kind of the, the growth in this model. It also reminds me a bit of Bronfenbrenner from like a theoretical framework place. Mm -hmm. Bronfenbrenner talks a lot about 
self individual. It talks about your family system and it talks about the larger community system around you and the influences that are placed on each of those levels. Um, what I like about the three by three model is it's not just a theoretical look about the influences of systems on self, but it's also about this call to action of how we have a responsibility to changing those systems, to influencing mm -hmm. those systems. And to Danielle's point, there was this moment in time where it really felt like the world was happening to us and we were we were kind of caught like a cog in a wheel. So interestingly enough, when this was really important to me. This work became important to me because I felt like I had meaning in a space and time when we were stuck. We were mm -hmm. stuck as a society. Um, and there's so many reasons for that, right? We think about George Floyd happening right around that time. We think about the pandemic. So many things happening to us and mm -hmm. feeling like it was happening with us, but what influence did we have? So this is an opportunity to really draw back and, and bring us back to that opportunity of influence. And this this brings us back, me back to agency. Um, we all have agency. We don't have the same level of agency. Our agency might shift from context to context, but there's always a role that we can play, something we can do to maybe make a little bit of difference or just a little thing. And others, we might have a, a huge opportunity to shift that. And uh, the point Laura was making about leadership um, I keep wanting to shift this leadership is not a position, but a process, right? And just keep shifting, shifting that here. Um, what, anything else about the model before, before we jump into some practice? So I think one thing to note for folks, whether they're looking at it or not, and in, in my work with ACPA and my work around this, what I have noticed is that a lot of the work around racial justice and decolonization, um, is not as prescriptive as in particular white people, but I would also say Western society really wants it to be. Yeah. Um, we want the answers. Just tell me we what want to do. the answers. Tell me what Just to do. That's what, what my do. orientation yeah. leader said. When someone says this, what is it that I do? Yeah. Um, so we create things in structure, right? Like we create charts and we create, create graphs. And something that was really important to us is that, yes, we can make it make more sense on a continuum and in the, in the squares, but the notion of the action is not finite or definitive, right? So we not used, limited to just that. Yeah. So we use Bloom's taxonomy to give us some like action verbs in each of the boxes to try to say this is like what that work would look like. So you can apply it to anything that you're dealing with or thinking about. And how does the work go that way tied to that? So it, as much as it's a chart and it feels stagnant in some ways. It's also something that, in my mind at least, is constantly moving and growing and shaping based on what's happening in the world yeah. and where you are in that space and where you are in your learning. Well, Laura mentioned some connections. I also was thinking about um, the social change model of leadership and self and group and, and society. Um, and when I work with campuses around their curricular approach and what do you want students to learn, that often emerges. We want them to learn about self-awareness or identity. We want them to be in relationship and community. And then what's the difference you're going to make in the world engagement or, or broader things, often with a DEI lens sort of in the mix there, which is kind of the, the focus here. Um, JW, you wanted to jump in there before. Go ahead. Just, and Daniel hit on a lot of it, but we're trying to ask people to change something and solve a problem that seems unsolvable. And when things are too big and too uh, complex, we have that hesitancy to say, like, I don't even want to get engaged because I don't even know where to begin. Right. And so we wanted something that was simplistic, but direct. And we talked about, there's so much information or we should write a book. Well, that's mm -hmm. going to take a year, years. It's going to take a lot of resources. Years. And get, yes, yes, yes. And so we wanted to get something out sooner. And so that's why we chose, okay, let's break this down into the three by three model, which we use in other contexts. It's a little bit more digestible mm -hmm. and it sort of begins to say like, here's the pathway forward. Again, this isn't didactic. This isn't, you have to do these things, but it's, we're inviting people along our journey to walk alongside us and say, here are some simple ways in which you can begin to learn, grow, and then ultimately sustain this work. And so trying to just break down some of those barriers that we even create in our mind about why I can't get involved because the, the issue is just too big to even solve. Yeah. Well, I've invited each of you to take on one of them and walk us through. So we're going to have each of you talk first about the individual and what would the learning, doing, and being look like, giving some concrete examples. And we'll talk about what that would look at the group and then what would that look like at systems. So 
I know you've put some thought into this and talked with each other about this. I'm really excited about this because as I have worked with it, the individual, like I mentioned, the individual level, I get that. That seems rather intuitive. What do I need to learn? Um, but then as I move to the group level, what, what group and where are we talking in the systems level and should have that have been? And then I go back to the individual level. And, and I love that you're offering an organizer without being limiting. And I think that's really helpful um, as I'm reading through the document. The organizer is helpful and I love hearing you now, but don't be limited by it. Those boxes are permeable. <laughs> well, um, but um, let's walk through some examples. So JW, you're gonna walk us through the individual level. Is that right? Yes. All right. Uh, it all starts with the individual and what we want and what is most important is that you begin with yourself first before we can create change in the groups that we're in, before we can begin to change the system, we have to do the work ourselves. And so it's really important that we start internally before we move to that external change. And so it, it took us a while to figure out what's the difference when we look at individuals versus groups, because a lot of the things that you can do from an awareness perspective, which is the first square from an individual, you can do from a group setting, but we try to really hone in on what we felt like would be important and valuable steps to take when you're beginning this journey. And so for the individual, you start with awareness, which we have in quotes, learning. And so how are you gathering information? How are you putting yourself in situations where you're going to learn something that you didn't know? Uh, and so from that, we, we talked about reading. And in a day and age now where you can Google uh, what are the top books, uh, mm -hmm. we encourage people to read, read books, read literature, uh, ask people that are in the community, outside the community, what are your recommendations? And just begin to speak with people about how can I learn and read about stories, experiences, and see perspectives that you may have not grown up seeing or may have not had people in your life that have felt that way so they couldn't tell you verbally, read. Uh, watching, observing. I think most of us have some type of streaming service. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of wonderful, great documentaries out there about lived experiences. So begin to read, learn, grow, have those conversations, putting yourself in situations where maybe you're going into an environment and a culture where you aren't familiar, observe what people from different cultures act and think like, begin to rub shoulders with people. That's really gonna help with the awareness. Once you begin to do that, there's there's no real set time frame. like, all right, do this for three months and now you're ready to move into the, to the doing phase. It's gonna look different for everyone, but once you begin to start that awareness, we want you to now think about, how am I gonna internalize this? How am I gonna make this a part of who I am? Uh, and that stage is really where you begin to, to identify as an ally and think about how I'm gonna participate, how I'm gonna join discussions and have something of value to add. And that value is going to come from what you've read, observed and done. Um, what different, is it a book club? Is it a community action group? Is it something that you can involved in as part of your campus or, or your community, but start to begin doing. And then once you do that, we're hoping that you then become and start with the sustainable, the being. This is not just something that you did or something you do occasionally, but it's a part of your entire being. It's who you are as a person. Uh, there is no sort of me without being a racial justice advocate, me being someone that I don't look at ways in which that I can break down uh, colonized structures. And so from that, you begin to form habits. Okay, when I'm in meetings and I see someone that's saying racially disparaging remarks, I'm not just going to say like, wow, that's that's really unfortunate they're saying that, but you have the voice and agency to speak up and say like, you know, that's, you know, I'm really, I felt like something you said right there really troubled me because that's who you are as a person that troubles you. Uh, but the other important part that we really wanted to hone in on is you reflect. Okay, mm -hmm. so I did call out that person. How did that go? Could I have used a different tone? Could I have said something differently and then revise? Because you can't just go into every situation with the same lens and say like, it's going to work this time. We're gonna put ourselves in different contexts where we need to be able to adapt the situation, but we're in that sustainable, we're in that being stage. It's who we are. We're looking for opportunities to advocate, to be allies mm -hmm. uh, and be the change that we, we really wanna see. But we have to begin with awareness work through the internalization and then end up at the sustainable. Now, to do that, we've had some recommendations where we've listed and prescribed some steps for people to really own this. And so things like commit to the work through self-awareness and learning. So really just 
uh, expands upon those blocks. And we, we've written some, some statements down there gonna help people learn about it. We've also talked about interrogate, learn communication and the impact on others. So what have you learned? How do you communicate? And then how could that potentially be offensive? Or maybe you're saying things out of ignorance. So you need to reflect on that and see how your communication is really affecting people. Hold yourself accountable and responsible for change. I can tell you amidst this project, uh, I was dealing with a staff member and I was calling them out on things like grammar. And, and is that really from a colonized approach where you need to speak in whiteness? Mm -hmm. And so even in how we're doing this and learning, we need to be able to hold ourselves accountable and say, you know what? that's really centered in whiteness and how we do this. And, and I need to say like in the future, is that really what's important? Is that really what I need to be focusing on as a manager and supervisor? Uh, and lastly, be aware and reactive to social movements. And so we lived through Black Lives Matter. It's not something that's over, but it's not the last of it. And as our staff are participating in and dealing with different movements, how are we understanding, like, okay, if I'm supervising someone that is an identity group or a racial group that's experiencing some type of trauma, how am I reacting and understanding that that's something that I need to help to have a duty to care, uh, have conversations with them, talk about altering their schedules, but you're listening to not just what's happening inside the four walls of your institution, but listening to society and really trying to be someone that's there as an ally uh, and as an advocate for, for change. Yeah, I love this because uh, the the awareness, internalization, and sustainability really help break that down. It's such a wonderful time to be a learner, not just readings, but podcasts and videos and, and so many things. It's just an incredible time. And I love that you're connecting not just learning from external sources, but also self-awareness and mm -hmm. that critical consciousness journey and serve. That, that internal I've been talking with folks about. Social change feels like changing everybody else. And it begins yeah. with you, it begins with, with the inner work. Um, I'm also hearing some hints of praxis there about that reflecting and doing better and reflecting and, and doing better. Um, so that that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, so that's a bit about the the individual. And, I, and I'm imagining I could walk through that that process that you just mentioned around um, uh, interacting with Muslim students in Islamophobia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I could do that completely differently around um, learning disabilities. Right. And how do I want to learn more about that? Right. And so it's not like a singular path. It's an ongoing path. And once I've learned about Muslim students and Islamophobia, then I can go back and relearn about that because things change and, and keep coming back to it in greater level of depth. So this is an this isn't a one time through, but an ongoing uh, process. And could be consistent about any topic. Right? right. Or anything that you're continuing to learn about. So I think, too, that the notion of action. And so, mm -hmm. yes, you are reading and learning. Yes, you are unlearning. And then how does that show up? That for me is where we get to the concretization. Like what is the, I think the moment in time when this was written and we were getting data information and we were getting feedback, right? There was a lot of well-intended people mm -hmm. and people were not seeing well-intended people do anything with that well-intention, give up power, put yourself out there, do the scary yep. thing that might get you in trouble if you have uh, yep. autonomy and power and space to be able to do that at work. And so the action-orientedness of, I'm going to do the work internally, and then it's going to show up for people. Right. Um, I think at the individual level is some of the most important components that kind of yep. come from how this work continues. And every yep. topic you have to relearn or every every on a college campus, often every year it's a new way that we need to go about doing it right yeah, in yeah. some kind of component yeah i really appreciate that because i i witnessed that too um after the murder of george floyd here in minneapolis where i live is doing a lot of work with white folks and, and allyship and that's what i consistently heard like i get it i'm furious i just i don't know what to do and mm -hmm. it's not that they didn't know what to do they they could name like 20 different things to do but they didn't know which one of those and mm -hmm. it was a fear of if i donate Am I going to get criticized for just donating? Am I going to get criticized for donating the wrong thing? If I show up to protest, am I going to get criticized? And that that fear, that perfectionism, uh, all I think rooted in, in whiteness and white supremacy okay. culture you're pointing to. All right, we've got to get to the group and the system level. Laura, you're going to lead us through the group and team level. How would you walk us through that learning, doing, and being for the group? 
Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about this one already. So, uh, you know, what I will say with the with this section, it can feel messy. It can feel messy in different ways because I think the individual places sometimes actually where we get stuck, where we start and also where we end. To your point, mm. Keith, folks are uncomfortable maybe with the movement forward. The irony is that you're an individual in every space in this in in this uh, model. So you're an individual both at the individual self category, the group and team, and also the system. So I would say that the work really isn't that different when you're getting into the group category, because you're still focused in self to understand who you are and how you show up in spaces, right? So the learning, the first part of this, this stage is understanding who you are and your influence and your impact on others. So this section, to me, the word that kind of resonates always is positional power. Uh, power within relationships. Um, so I think about that from a supervisory lens. So I'll give a couple examples. Um, as a supervisor, um, I think we often learn through what not to do, not what to do. Uh, we look to the supervisors that have harmed us, uh, traumatized us. I think for our staff of color, this is even more prevalent. Um, mm -hmm. It's very personal to me as a white staff member who supervises multiple staff of color. Um, this relationship um, and my influence and my care for them really desperately matters in the work. Um, so that's the individual work that you're doing to understand who you are. The moment when you think you know what kind of supervisor you are, you're already wrong because Perfect. every single person is different and what mm -hmm. you bring to that relationship and what they bring to that relationship is different. Mm -hmm. So thinking also about a team or a group, um, each group is different. Each group dynamic is different. Understanding you and understanding self and understanding where you're comfortable, where you're speaking up or stepping back, that's really critical. So that's more in the learning part. The doing is actually the step into that. Um, how do you actually have a relationship where you're paying attention to positional power? How are you actually creating relationships where your staff know that they can, they feel value and that value shows up in action? So an example of that is how you create opportunities for evaluation and feedback. Um, I've heard a lot through student affairs and my time in student affairs, but we want to create spaces where staff can give feedback directly. Um, and then I would ask ourselves to consider whether we feel comfortable with our upline and giving feedback directly. And if we don't, then we need to create opportunities where folks can give feedback in anonymous ways, uh, because if we don't do that, then we're not actually doing the work and creating spaces within our positional power where people can show up. Yeah. The being is the space that you take and the space that you hold. Mm -hmm. uh, the being can be um, how you're thinking about uh, the positions that you're posting, how you discuss those positions, how you create um, inclusion within your work. Um, so at a group level, it's not just about supervising. It's also about the tasks that that show up as a leader within a space that you have proximity of influence to create create and change and modify to change the it, for the better the system, right? So it's each of these layers and the layers are, they're not simple. They're not mm -hmm. simplistic. I would argue that I never think I know about supervision mm -hmm. or leadership because once I think I know I'm wrong um, and who you were yesterday is different than who you are tomorrow, back to JW's point, because the learning is constant. The learning continues, right? So it doesn't stop in one moment and we're not there. Uh, just like justice work, we, we're, we're on a journey and the journey never ends. Um, so, you know, I think about this as the stage when, when we were looking at feedback um, to, that supported this project, this is the place where, where folks were really calling for action. They were calling for action in how their leaders showed up to support them and speak up to support them. Um, and what we know from the data is that people leave jobs not always because of the salary, mostly because of their supervisor. So this is the opportunity space. Awesome. I, that's really great. You gave us so many good things real connected together. Uh, Danielle, walk us through the system. So how do we change the pond that we're in? The whole thing, as JW mentioned, it can feel overwhelming. What could I do? And then we give up and don't do anything. So how Absolutely. Do yeah. And so I think a lot of what we talk about at the systems level is how are you challenging the status quo and working within the system? This document is very much being about you are in a system and what are you doing in it at the individual group and system level. Um, for that, we kind of start awareness is getting a sense of where it is you are. What is your system? Where was it founded? Where does it live? 
How did it situate itself there? What is the history of the land? What are the people that were um, taken advantage of to create the system that you are currently in? Who's running the system? Where is the power, right? In order for us to really move to creating change um, and moving some of these pieces forward, it's getting a better sense of historically, what do we need to do? What do we need to document and write down that hasn't been, right? And we've struggled with that. Sometimes we think that writing things down is prescriptive in white, other times, writing things down can be transparent and, un, you know, the un, removing the unwritten curriculum and the way that people can engage in space. So how are we doing that and truly learning, like, where are we working or what system, what is about the system that we're trying to do is really that awareness area. Then I think um, when you get to the ideas and to action, it's what do the mission statements say of your spaces, your vision statements? What is the tip of the iceberg? Are we even at a place where we're calling out the things that we really want to be and where can we create change there to then move into deeper pieces? What are our policies? What does it look like when we hire people? What does it look like when we have certain events and which students um, or staff or faculty, how are people included or excluded? And how are we diving in that ongoing critique and constructive criticism of the system is where we start to have bigger conversations about how we can fix things at a broader and more complex level. Um, Getting to sustainability is hard at systems level because this work is never done. None of these boxes are ever filled. Um, I think at the system level in particular, there's always another piece of the system to kind of think through, right? And particularly, this was written towards institutions of higher education in the United States that are um, rooted in European values and very much rooted in whiteness and our boards of trustees and our presidents and our cabinets um, need to be diversified, but also come from a particular space of understanding. And at the systems level, we can start to do some work to really think about what does that mean to break those pieces apart. Um, it's challenging the status quo at working through the system means kind of utilizing the power that you have to implement and kind of push some things forward um, and thinking about how to support staff or disrupt systems and the places that you can kind of create some shifts and create some a movement to then kind of break some things down is really, I think, what this main point is. What does it mean to unapologetically do this work and to know that and to build coalitions um, to be able to do that work together? Because there's a whole bunch of folks in the system and we can individually as a collective do a lot more to disrupt some pieces as we move to kind of shift where the entire system is. Yeah. Awesome. You've pointed to a lot of things we can disrupt or break down or impede, and that's so helpful. And then also, what would liberation look like? What would equity look like? What would freedom look like? What would how would this benefit so many of us? I think that's a that's another thing we can we can also lean into. Um, as expected, we're we are running out of time. Uh, the podcast is Student Affairs Now. We always like to end with what are each of you thinking, troubling, or pondering now. Um, feel free to add in things related to the, to the conversation today or other things that are just with you in this particular moment in time. Um, and also, if you want to share where folks can connect with you, uh, you're welcome to to do that. So, JW, what would you like to, uh, what, what are you pondering now? Right now, I'm, I'm really uh, focusing on how we begin to help staff members and students that we work with shift from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Okay. And a lot of that is situated in what we're talking about here is this is how things are, things are immovable, this is the right mm -hmm. way, this is the wrong way, as opposed to I'm gonna enter a space, I'm going to receive information, I'm going to listen, and then I'm going to then speak, and I'm gonna look for opportunities to grow. And I think once we have a growth mindset, it really helps us deal with adversity, it helps us deal with challenges. And I've just really been seeing a lot of people saying this is the right way and this is the wrong way, and there's so much more gray in between. And so that's really what I've been pondering and think about how I help my staff, which will then ultimately help the students that they're working with. Yeah. And I'm also hearing in that the, the breaking free from binaries and either or mm -hmm. into the both and space. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Laura, what are you pondering now? Oh, what am I not pondering this time of year? <laughs> um, I So I'm actually thinking about the strategic imperative for racial justice and decolonization from a systems lens, but a different systems lens than I've ever done before. Um, so often I'm thinking about the three by three and myself within a system. What I'm considering right now is how our systems need to shift. 
because they're not working for our students. They haven't worked for our students for a long time, but in my position, I have influence and I have positional leadership to make that change. So an example could be um, my previous work in residence life. I'm thinking about the system of residence life and how that was really developed often in the 70s and 80s. And those are not our students anymore. And our mm -hmm. systems have changed and the asks have changed. So if you look at crisis response as a great example, what our students need and how we're preparing our staff to, to be accountable to that space and supportive in that space um, can either help or induce trauma. Um, and if you look at it through a strategic lens and the strategic imperative guides us, then it can tell us, almost tell us and guide us about what we need to do differently um, in the system to reconstruct. Um, so I'm thinking a bit about that. That'll be probably the next writing project. Um, I say that because I keep I keep putting it off. So maybe if I speak it into the universe, I will actually have to do it. Yeah. Um, but I think like we need to reconsider what we've always done in an entirely different way than ever before. Yeah, and not just for these reasons, but for the pandemic and for changing demographics and enrollment cliffs and public pressure from uh, so many different places. So I think higher ed is a little too reluctant to really rethink, right? We want to noodle at the edges a little bit. Danielle, what are you pondering now? You know, some of it is very similar to that. Yeah. I'm at a small liberal arts and research institution, and you start thinking about um, being on the defense as a system, right? Like, what does mm -hmm. it mean for enrollment? For where where do we make money decisions when there's less money? And I think similar to how our campuses began under COVID, um, when we are on the defense and when we are acting in urgency, uh, we are not strategic. We're not thinking about the imperative. We aren't being intentional. We aren't being inclusive to the work that we need to do. And we're really, what what do we sacrifice when we are in that space? And so I'm really situating in like, how am I a disruptor as we move through that process to make sure that we are recentering and centering um, the people and the things that we need to be doing? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean when we know that our institutions have not moved with our current students? So what does mm -hmm. challenge and support look like to our young Gen Z to how are we being more trauma-informed and inclusion-informed, universal design-informed? What does that really and truly mean for us as we're moving forward with less resources, trying to figure out the best way to serve all of our students and allow our systems to move in shape to be able to do that? Yeah, I, I love that. I love that getting out of reactive into proactive. Let's really drive where we want to go rather than, as you said, beyond defense. Yeah. Uh, thanks to all three of you. This has been terrific. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for your writing. Thanks for your thinking. Thanks for your contribution. Thanks for taking responsibility and jumping in uh, with your leadership around this. Um, and thanks to, to each of you for sharing uh, of your own selves here today, not just what everybody else should do, but your own journeys along the way. This has been great. Uh, thanks also to our sponsors of today's episode, Simplicity. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit Simplicity com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And a huge shout out to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all of the work behind the scenes to make us look and sound good. We love the support for these important conversations from our community. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing to our podcast, YouTube, and weekly newsletter announcing each new episode and more. If you're so inclined, you can leave us a five-star review. It really helps us reach more folks. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to the fabulous guests today and to everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you all.